Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Dance Science Podcast. I'm your host, the Dance Scientist, and the Dance Science Podcast intends to build connections and drive discussion on how we can improve our field and make dance science more normalized. Thank you for being here and please enjoy this episode. All right, thank you so much for being here with me today. I'm your host, the Dance Scientist, and today is going to be a solo episode where we're gonna be talking about motor learning, okay? So after today's episode, I hope that you walk away with some general tips on how you can improve the way that you cue, the way that you lesson plan, and the way that you communicate to your dancers. So the first thing to do that's really important for today's conversation is to start building the bottom layer or the bottom foundation to our entire conversation today, right? And that starts with what is motor learning, okay? Here is one of the simplest ways that I can define motor learning, okay? It's a set of internal processes that allows somebody to learn a motor skill, okay? Imagine a dancer learning a pirouette, okay? How is the pirouette communicated to them, okay? Is the teacher demonstrating? Is the teacher modeling? Is there repetition? What kind of learning styles does this dancer learn best from, okay? All of those things play a factor in how that dancer learns the pirouette. And this is exactly what motor learning is, okay? So when a person learns a motor skill, keep in mind that these changes are basically permanent because they end up being stored in long-term memory. Again, we're going to be talking about how repetition plays a really, really big role here in how this skill gets acquired by the individual. Now, I hope after this simple little explanation and introduction, I hope it's kind of opened our eyes into why motor learning is so, so important, okay? And you may start to see why I always, always say I believe it's one of the most overlooked things in dance pedagogy because it really should be the foundation of every single thing we do. Now, when motor learning principles are applied, the dancer's learning process ends up being enriched and expedited, okay? So yes, you're probably thinking, oh, well, then why doesn't everybody know about motor learning, okay? And they may know about motor learning, but research says that still a lot of the traditions still being used in the dance classroom don't necessarily draw on this important research. Now, I also want you to keep in mind that motor learning is a pretty large umbrella term, okay? So again, we're going to be keeping today's conversation general because I am going to try to hit a little bit on each of the subtopics, okay? So just to kind of give you a little bit of a taste and a little bit of a flavor of what some of these subtopics are, okay? Some of them include chunking, learning styles, cognitive load, transfer, feedback, modeling, and brain development. Now, The first thing we need to discuss here is the fact that dance skills are considered complex, okay? This is another reason why motor learning is so important and it should underlie every single thing we do as dance educators, okay? Again, I want you to keep the visualization of a pirouette in your head today as you're listening to this episode, okay? Because consider a pirouette. Does the average human learn a pirouette? No. 
but dancers do, and they're performing them repetitively, okay? So these are considered sophisticated skills because they go past normal human motor development. Again, because the average person does not learn these skills, only dancers do. So again, the pirouettes are an example, large jumps are another example, and even balances. Now, something I want to clear up in this conversation is that the goal of motor learning is not just for the dancer to learn the skill, okay? It actually goes far beyond that, okay? It actually is also trying to improve the quality of the movement, okay? Such as things like coordination, accuracy, smoothness, and even proficiency, Also keep in mind that by the time the skill becomes completely embedded in long-term memory, it actually just becomes an image of the task, okay? This is super, super interesting, but instead of the brain holding onto every single detail and every single body part and muscle, it just takes in an image of how to perform that task. How cool is this? And then once this does become embedded into long-term memory as an image, this is considered the final goal of the motor learning process. All right, the next little subtopic here is cognitive load, okay? So cognitive load is a person's ceiling, as I like to call it, okay? Everybody has a ceiling of how much information their working memory can hold at a certain time. Another thing to keep in mind is that when we're learning tasks, the tasks actually compete with each other, okay? So since everybody has their own ceiling, okay, it's hard for people to focus on more than one task at a time, okay? So think about this. If a beginner dancer is being taught a movement, okay, if they're told to constantly focus on more than one task at a time, they can hit their ceiling much, much faster than an advanced dancer, okay? Once the ceiling is hit, they hit something called cognitive overload and they can no longer take in what they're being taught. Now, for beginner dancers, almost everything they learn is new. So they hit their cognitive load much, much faster than an advanced learner because the new information actually takes up more space than when they're taught information that is related to something that they already know. So again, the new information is taking up more space, which is why they hit their ceiling much faster than an advanced learner. Something else to keep in mind here is that learners self-instruct, okay? So they literally talk to themselves mentally while they're dancing, okay? Now, what happens is because they're talking to themselves mentally, this is pulling some from their working memory's capacity, okay? So it's important that we're not overloading our students while they are performing a combination or performing a movement because they can easily, easily hit their ceiling. 
Now, chunking, which is the next subtopic here, is actually a way that we can avoid hitting a cognitive load and becoming a cognitive overload, okay? So chunking is a strategy that helps to save room in the working memory. And I was talking a little bit on this when we were talking about cognitive load. If we chunk new concepts and relate them to something that they already know, Again, we're going to be using less working memory and their learning is going to become more effective. So relating it to something they know is a great strategy here. And it's also going to be really important for beginner learners since, again, their personal ceiling is much, much lower. Something else I like to do is call things cousins or families because when we make associations like this to existing knowledge, we end up taking much less space and we're able to learn more new things. Now, learning styles are another important subtopic here, okay? Also, keep in mind that I've done a full episode just on learning styles alone. So if you're interested in viewing that episode, just head over to my podcast page. One of the things we want to remember when it comes to learning styles is that there's going to be a lot of variation in the way that dance students learn and process, okay? One of the best things that the research tells us to do as educators is to broaden our teaching strategies, okay? I like to call it broadening your toolkit, okay? Because we really should be able to teach the same movement in a wide variety of ways, right? And I sort of refer to that as like a long spectrum sometimes, right? It's like, how many different ways can you explain a pirouette? How many different ways can you explain a leap? How many different ways can you explain a saute in first position, right? And challenging ourselves to keep stretching the way that we're learning and teaching is only going to help us to become more effective, Again, we should be providing a variety of ways for the dance students to learn, such as cueing verbally, visually, and even kinesthetically. Keep in mind that each child comes to class with a unique set of learning preferences and cognitive behaviors, okay? So remember, they're coming to class with already this set of preferences in the way that they learn and process, okay? So it's best that we try to expand and try to always, always keep stretching the way that we're teaching and the way that we're cueing. Another way that the research refers is to being more effective with our cues is something that they called multi-layered cues, okay? And the multi-layered cues are supposed to appeal to a wide variety of learning styles as opposed to a learning strategy that only appeals to one type of learning. Okay, the next subtopic is contrary to popular belief, learning is not neat, okay? Instead of being neat and tidy, it actually involves mistakes. And we're going to be talking about why mistakes are such an important part of the learning process, okay? Research recommends us to try to find a positive balance to those mistakes that are going to be a natural part of the learning process. And again, we're going to be getting into this more later in this episode. Watching others, okay? This is another subtopic under motor learning, and I'm going to tell you exactly what the research tells us about watching others, okay? The research says that there are a lot of benefits to when dancers observe their peers, 
trying to learn a movement, okay? But especially when they watch their peers have to work through problems or have to work through mistakes, okay? Because the dancers see the other dancer correct, okay? And they go through the process of seeing them figure out what the best strategy is to fix their mistake, okay? So then when the dancer sees this entire process, they're able to apply it to their own learning experiences. Mistakes, okay? This is something that really in the dance world are really considered like unacceptable and really unforgivable, okay? What people don't understand is that mistakes are actually a really important part of the learning process, okay? Now, keep in mind, I'm not saying that mistakes should be happening constantly and we shouldn't be correcting the mistakes. But what I'm saying is we have to be allowing them to make a certain amount of mistakes, okay? Because again, there's reasons why this is a necessary component of learning and processing information. One of the things it does is when we really talk about class culture, it really helps dancers to not have this fear of making mistakes. Because again, this is really common in the dance world for them to develop that sense of fear and that sense of anxiety to making a mistake, okay? This can really end up limiting their progress. And this is really what the class is for, is allowing the dancer to make those mistakes because research says that it's a really important thing for them so that they can translate the movement from idea to actually reality. Goal setting, okay? This is another subtopic under motor learning. And you're like, how is goal setting under motor learning? And I'm going to tell you exactly why, okay? Now, normally these things would really lie more in the field of dance psychology, but again, I'm going to tell you how they do play a role in the motor learning process, okay? Remember, we're trying to enhance not only learning a skill, but also improving the way that the skill is performed. So remember, we were talking about things like smoothness, coordination, and accuracy, right? So... When we're talking about goal setting, okay, this really, really improves someone's willingness to participate in something called repetition, which we're going to be getting into later. So the more that they want to repeat the skill, okay, this actually ends up improving the way that they perform that skill. All right, feedback. This is another area where there are really still a lot of myths and misunderstandings, okay? Now, teachers want to speed up the learning process naturally, right? So we logically think, let's give as much feedback as possible, right? Let's just keep like a steady stream going of information, okay? And what we don't realize, again, after this conversation about cognitive load and chunking, we really have to keep in mind that we can't just be giving all of that feedback. Sometimes less feedback is actually what they need because they might actually be being overstimulated by the corrections that you're giving them. So again, this is where a person's cognitive load really, really plays a large role 
in the way that they process feedback that they're being given. So we really need to be considering the age that we're teaching and how many corrections we're giving that age group. Because again, more is not always better in this instance. Mental practice is another subtopic under motor learning. And again, this one might seem like, does this really fit into this conversation? But I'm going to tell you exactly why it does fit into motor learning. When we're talking about mental practice, we're talking about seeing oneself do the skill before actually executing it, okay? And research has stated that this can really make learning more effective. Something that happens is that when the dancers are having mental practice, there's areas of the brain that fire on the muscles being used for that dance skill. And those muscles actually activate, okay? So this can be a really helpful tool for us to be integrating into the dance classroom. All right, repetition is the last thing we're going to be talking about today. This is probably the single most researched thing in all of motor learning, okay? And research is, you know, pretty simple on this. It's that it's repeating a motor skill is going to improve the motor skill. But there are things that we have to consider here. Let's flip the coin here on to the negative side of repetition, okay? If the dancer is executing the movement in an incorrect way, this can become ingrained. When it becomes ingrained, the retraining and the repatterning can be very, very, very difficult, especially if they're older. What we have to prioritize here is setting up the proper neural patterning in the first place, okay? This is why... I shout from the rooftops that we have to be teaching dance science from a young age, okay? If a dancer learns about dance science when they're 14 or when they're 15, I say that that's great, right? Because that's better than nothing. But keep in mind that that's a pretty old age for us to be starting to want to retrain those neural patterns that they're already used to, right? It's like those habits that become ingrained and at an older age, they're much, much harder to rewire. So we're going to kind of wrap up repetition here, okay? Yes, it is extremely important because remember, we're talking about complex skills here. Remember, we talked about the fact that normal humans do not learn pirouettes, for example. So we're already in the category of complex and sophisticated motor skills. So yes, repetition is going to play a big role here, but we can't talk about repetition without talking about the negative aspect that can come from it. And that is if the movements are performed incorrectly and when these patterns start to become ingrained. Something that I like to say with dance science is dance science is really trying to get into the car and reverse <laughs> basically through the entire body and try to rewire some of these neuromuscular patterns so that things can be more safe and things can be more efficient. So again, this is important that the proper neural patterning is set up from a young age. And again, this is why I'm constantly shouting from the rooftops that we need to be teaching dance science from a young age. 
All right, friends, if you really enjoyed today's conversation, there are two things that I would like to quickly point you into the direction of, okay? First is I have a printable ebook for sale on my website, and it's just called Motor Learning 101. This ebook is organized into two chapters, and it has over 55 evidence-based teaching tips. So all of the subtopics that we went over today, this goes into much, much more detail. And this is for sale directly on my website for $6.99. The second thing I would like to point you towards is if you're interested in taking my mini course, which is just called the Motor Learning Course. Again, from the ebook, this is actually one step up as far as depth and as far as detail. So if you have an hour to spare, I highly recommend taking my motor learning mini course. It's $19, it has one module and it has four bonus items. So this can also be found with a link from my website or just from my Instagram profile. All right, it's time for a little summary of today's episode. So first, we talked about what motor learning is in the first place. And remember, it's those internal processes for how we learn a motor skill. And remember, when we're talking about dance skills, they're all considered complex and sophisticated. Again, this is one of the most overlooked things in dance pedagogy, in my personal opinion, okay? This is an umbrella term that includes a lot of subtopics underneath, So one of the things we talked about is the fact that dance skills are considered complex. We talked about cognitive load, which is a person's personal threshold for how much information they can process at a given time. Everybody has their own personal ceilings, as I like to call them. And chunking is a strategy that actually saves room in the working memory. So this is a great way for us to avoid hitting that cognitive overload. We talked about learning styles, okay? Remember, there's going to be a lot of variation and it's important that we're broadening our toolkit and it's important that we're using multi-layered cues for teaching the same dance skill. So again, it's like, how many ways can you teach a pirouette? Learning is not neat. This is another thing that we talked about today is that mistakes are an important part of the process, Watching others is something that's also very beneficial for dancers, especially when they see someone else trying to correct something because then they're able to apply it to their own learning process. Mistakes, okay? So again, this is something that, you know, culturally mistakes are viewed as unacceptable in the dance world. But what people don't realize is that there's actually a lot of benefits to making mistakes, Again, keep in mind that I'm not saying that we should be constantly making mistakes and not correcting them. Goal setting is another important thing that we talked about today. And again, because repetition is so important, someone is going to be more willing to participate in performing the skill if they are using goal setting, if that makes sense. Feedback is another thing we talked about today where, you know, usually people think that More feedback is better, but again, after today's conversation, that is definitely not true when we're talking about cognitive load and chunking. Mental practice is another thing that we touched on today where we talked about the fact that, you know, areas of the brain fire that are used for those movements, even when the dancer does not perform the movement physically. 
Repetition is the thing that we touched on last today. And again, this is one of the most highly researched things in motor learning. And remember, we really stress that there is also a negative aspect if the movements are practiced incorrectly and those habits start to become ingrained. And then we talked about the fact that, you know, retraining and rewiring is hard, especially as the dancer gets older. All right, everyone, thank you so much for joining me today on this solo episode of the Dance Science Podcast. I'm your host, the Dance Scientist, and if you really enjoyed today's episode, please feel free to leave a review. You can also comment on this episode, and you can also leave me a rating on this episode. Thank you for being here, and I really am looking forward to my next episode.